This episode of the Modern Law Podcast is brought to you by Soberlink. At Modern Law, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all solution, and we understand that some clients need full representation using every tool in the legal toolbox. This is especially true for custody and alcohol cases, which is why Soberlink has been one of the most important tools for my clients. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety with peace and mind during their parenting time. To begin receiving real-time alerts that your child is safe and to receive $50 off your device, visit Soberlink.com forward slash modern. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast. Today I am here with one of our attorneys, the gentleman, the famous, the infamous Keith Evans. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I asked I'm you before. I'm so good. I'm oh, so good. You're always good. Yeah. I don't think you have a bad day. Um, Not often. No, um, no. Most of the time I have good days, but you also seem to have good days. You are a man who is positive, experienced, and today we're going to do this podcast and just get let people get to know you a little bit more. Hmm. So you're an attorney. So they tell me, yes. How long have you been practicing? Uh, for, I think uh, my bar website says 19 years. So 19 years. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You haven't started rounding up. That's interesting. I, I round up and I'm at 17 years and I, I always say like almost 20. So <laughs> <laughs> you could certainly be saying almost 20. Um, and Keith, what did you do before you went to law school? Uh, before I went to law school, I was a paralegal for like 14 years in Southern California. So I worked for like State Farm. I did extremely boring things in a gray world. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, if anybody's ever interested, because I have a lot of boring things I could talk about, is uh, State Farm has never fired anybody, which I always found it interesting, right? So Ooh. in 75 years, they've never fired anybody. Now, they will make it so you want to quit but they never fire mm, anybody. That is interesting. So, yeah, yeah. I was going to wonder, like, do they just have great hiring screening tools or yeah, do they just yeah. leave people around who are terrible? No. Well, that, that could be some of that too, but people are uh, true believers for Ed Rush Jr. fans out there. Yeah. So he was the CEO, his dad was CEO, and then he was CEO. And I think he still is, but they, uh, it's like a cult basically not to pick on State Farm. I, I enjoyed my time at State Farm, but Anyway, I was a paralegal and I would do discovery uh, all the time. So Mm. written discovery, Mm -hmm. digesting depositions, Mm -hmm. uh, going on independent medical examinations. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I could bore you with that. I could bore you with that. Well, you also have a career in the military. Uh, I do. I I just left the Navy uh, two years ago, but I'm Navy Reserve. For all the salty sea dogs out there who are going to say, oh, well, what ship did he serve on? Keith never served on a ship. So I was an intel guy. And so uh, anyway, I went wherever the Navy sent me. So to Naples or to Iraq or wherever. Um, so anyway, I was a nerd. Yeah. How many deployments did you face? Uh, three, I believe. So uh, the best was Italy. Italy mm-hmm. is always, uh, and they stationed me, well, it was in uh, Naples, but I got to live what they call on the economy. So Pozzuoli, for those who know uh, the Naples area, and uh, then Iraq, and then I tried for Afghanistan, 
but they did something called demobilized. So uh, that uh, that saddened me because we went through all this training at Fort Dix in New Jersey. And then literally, I think two days before we're supposed to deploy, they pulled the plug. So I never got to go to Afghanistan. Wow. Wow. Okay. And you said you were in intelligence. You were an intelligence officer? In IS, I never was an officer, probably because I'm an underachiever. And well, that uh, no, doesn't make I, sense. Don't they make lawyers officers? So you didn't do Jack? No, in fact, it's funny because when I was in Iraq, I always remember this. I was a place called Ramadi, which if you're ever in Iraq, do not go to Ramadi. But I was in Ramadi and it must have been like really early in the morning and some like high officials were there and I was there and they go, oh, what do you do civilian side? And I said, well, I'm an attorney. What the hell are you doing as an IS2 in the Navy? And I said, because I love it, you know, is uh, and I think they like that answer, but maybe they didn't. Um, but I, I loved it because uh, if people know this, enlisted people get to do a lot of other stuff that officers do not. I'm sure my mom would have preferred if I was an officer. Uh, JAG would have been probably the way to go. But quite frankly, um, it's a lot of really boring stuff. So the boring stuff I did, I enjoyed. But um, yeah, anyway, that that's my that's my rationale. All right. So you've got State Farm. You were paralegal. You decided to go to law school. Why did you go to law school? Because I hated to be pushed around by attorneys all the time. So attorneys um, can much be better jealous. to be. Yeah, it's much better to be a chief than an Indian, not not to, uh, you know, scouts can enjoy that stuff. But uh, in terms of what I was doing, I was like, geez, um, why do I need to, you know, do this all the time? Like I said, discovery. When I could be in a courtroom, I could be doing this. And so, uh, and I worked through <laughs> throughout law school. I, I went to school uh, on the weekends and night, which if you're ever going to go to law school, do not do that. Wow. So three and a half years and uh, very long, long years. Yeah. Law school is not easy. I, I cannot imagine doing it while also working a full-time job. It's not good. Yeah. You're a hard worker. You you did not necessarily take the easy path. Your career is, I would say, interesting and varied. And how did you end up being a family law trial attorney? Uh, I really, uh, and I think I told you this before, Billy. But anyway, is um, I when I left government, I was a prosecutor for nine years. When I started off, I always wanted to be a prosecutor, so I was a prosecutor. But then when I left that after nine years. I said, I want to get into a personal injury and then do criminal defense because I was a prosecutor. And so I started my own law firm and I'd say every other call was, well, do you do family law? It's like, yeah, but do you do family law? So it's a tremendous demand for family law. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, gosh, I have to learn about family law. Mm -hmm. And so uh, luckily I had a mentor who kind of uh, guided me, let's put it that way. But becoming a family law attorney is kind of like um, being a monk. So you're always uh, trying to obtain the higher learning all the time. And of course, Billy knows this. So people don't give family law the credit it's due because they're like, oh, it's just family law. But there's so many layers to family law that it is really probably and I guess I'm throwing that out there, the most important area of law that you will encounter, um, in my opinion. People would say criminal law, constitutional law, whatever tax, but in terms of everyday life, 
it, it's it's got to be family law. And there's such a demand for it in Arizona. It's just, and I think it's going to get. You probably know better than me, but uh, I think I saw 4.8 million people in Phoenix Metro, and it's growing. So we're the fifth largest. It might, I think, become the fourth in a couple of years. So you're absolutely right. So 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 much demand. Um, it is. I mean, I understand criminal law. Criminal law and family law are probably similar in in level of importance because what we do literally has generational impacts generational impacts like the way that families operate affects not just their children but their children's children and your relationship that they're going to have with grandparents and it's incredibly high stakes so i agree with you those of us who do practice family law understand that the stakes really couldn't possibly be higher. And um, you can practice family law sloppily, but if you are if you are really trying to achieve that higher calling, there's nothing sloppy about it. I would agree. But uh, again, uh, seeing the um, the growth of family law uh, mm-hmm. is just, and so with that, you get a lot of people like you're saying who just like, yeah, I do probate, I did this, I did bankruptcy last year, family law, give me a break, you know, and, and they'll have the forms and they'll just come into court and um it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been practicing solely family law or primary family law? <sighs> I want to say 2011 or 2012 so 11 mm-hmm. years straight mm-hmm. and i i should say in that i'll do juvenile mm-hmm. so and that's uh what people don't realize is the different realms right mm-hmm. so uh juvenile law is a, a whole different animal to family law it is uh, they, they intersect and uh, it, it's interesting where you have to explain to the family law judge what's going on in juvenile because people think that, I don't know, that the judges hit a, a button and they know what's going on in the other courts and they have no idea. And so um, anyway, yeah, I, I do juvenile law, but mostly for terminations, um, some guardianships, things like that. But um Okay, that's great. So not a lot of lawyers do necessarily also practice in juvenile. And juvenile law is, just for those of you who are listening, it's when DCS is involved and they take custody, or when a um, child, a, a minor gets themselves in trouble, that can also be juvenile law. Or what we do mostly is the terminations. So terminations of parental rights happen in juvenile court, not in family court. Now, it's really nice when your lawyer can do both because we've had cases where we we were not getting good results in family court. There were um, fathers in that particular case. There was a father who was incredibly abusive and we could not get the family court to stop parenting time, especially with the younger child. But this dad had really hurt the older child and we couldn't get them to do anything. So we filed for termination in juvenile court. And what was really cool about that is it stayed the family court case. Now, can you explain what that means? That means that everything freezes. Uh, And it's interesting that you bring this up because this was a topic at the CLE where there is, um, I guess, an opinion that the family court case can continue, which mm. I disagreed. And I, I 
everything's virtual. So I, I put in the chat box like, hey, wait a second, you know, this is not and they didn't take my question up. But so I'm very curious uh, to follow up on that. But I, I would say yes. So what people need to understand is uh, and this is for all the nerds out there is uh, all the uh, Arizona revised statutes are divided by numbers. So for juvenile law, it's eight. And for family law, it's 25. And for criminal, it would be 13. So you can Google all the all the statutes are available online. But what a, a good judge will tell you is that the most important court in Arizona is uh, juvenile court, because that has power over all the other courts. They're all superior courts, but uh, whatever happens in juvenile court will, and including for criminal proceedings, it could possibly uh, stop a criminal proceeding. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. So the, the other thing that happens in juvenile court are private dependencies. And so this this comes up with third parties. When a third party is trying to figure out how do I get custody of a child, they've got options. They can get third party rights in family court under Title 25. They could file a dependency or a guardianship in um, juvenile court, or they could file for that guardianship in probate court. Now, do you do all three? I do not do probate court. I've never stepped in probate court. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Voluntary temporary guardianships are usually through probate court. So that's really the only time that we end up doing those voluntary temporary um, guardianships. Anyway, it's just interesting because they all have different, they're all different tools that we have to help get people to where they want to go. So we listen to their problem. We analyze like what are the options and then together make a choice of what might be the best way to go. So you've got a criminal background. You also do a lot of work with orders of protection. Yes. And that's kind of your wheelhouse, right? Well, uh, according to modern law, uh, now I've done, I think, around 13 or 14 um, orders of protection. So contested orders of protection. And so that's my, uh, uh, that's what I've done. Uh, I've also had some, yeah, I I would say 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And how many years did you spend in criminal court? Uh, that would be nine years. Yeah. So I think nine years in criminal court plus the 10 years in family court really makes you, I think, uniquely qualified to do well in that order protection hearing. Uh, well, I wouldn't disagree. Uh, there might be some judges who would disagree, (laughs) but I will tell you for when I was a prosecutor, um, that my last 14 months as a prosecutor, I was doing, I was um, sent to do juvenile prosecutions. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really like a step down. I thought that was being punished. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was, but I will tell you, out of the nine years I was a prosecutor, it was probably the most educational time I had in terms of what's going on in the community. Now, this is up in Yavapai County or Prescott. Uh, but uh, I was doing um, the uh, sex offender court. So mm-hmm. I never thought about sex offenders when you're talking about teenagers, right. but it's a tremendous problem mm-hmm. uh, in society that I was mm-hmm. just oblivious to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to, to deal with 13, 14, 15 year old sex offenders uh, and to see what treatment they were going through and so forth was really eye opening. 
and other matters that are in juvenile court. So again, different realm in in Title VIII. You brought that up because that is something that happens in family court a lot, a lot. There are many times when we will get um, allegations or instances where we don't we don't know, but maybe one child was molested by a stepbrother or a half brother. And I don't want to even say it's only males, but like this is real life. And what you're talking about is the fact that you've had experience in all these different courts. And then you you bring that in with family court and it's messy and it's real life and it's complicated and it's high stakes. And I think that we are better off as lawyers having those perspectives and, and understanding the nuance and the complexity of these cases. Oh, by, by far. I, I mean, I, I've been lucky. Like I said, I, maybe it was punishment to send me to juvie uh, prosecution, but I even got to do a CLE uh, for I was with the county attorney's office and a lot of the attorneys I work with, you know, because nobody wants to deal with juvies. So they had no real clue about what went on and so forth. So it, it was very enlightening. And I also went to um, uh, the it's kind of if you see it off the 17 freeway before Happy Valley, if you're going north, you'll see it on the left hand side. There's all this big building with um uh, Bob wire behind it. And that's where they send the really bad kids in Arizona. They'll house, I think it's up to 300 wow. uh, kids up there. And so I got to do a, um, a, basically a field trip there to find out what goes on there. Cause I get you again, I passed it all the time, but didn't realize Adobe is what people just refer to it as. So anyway, it, it's in here in Maricopa, if you uh, not to depress people, but if you want to see what's going on, Arizona is different that you can actually uh, view juvenile proceedings. If we were in California, they're all sealed and you wouldn't be able to get in there. Uh, some proceedings here are, but you could basically not to say do a field trip. But if you ever were at Durango mm-hmm. and that's uh, kind of South Phoenix, you could basically go there on the second floor and sit through some proceedings and um might be uh, might, might be a real reality show. Let's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Keith, what do you do for fun? Um, well, I have three kids, so it's really what they want to do for fun. <laughs> so, uh, I have more boring stuff. I'm an elk, so I was at the Elks Lodge. Uh, I think yesterday or two days ago. Anyway, at the pool there, or, uh, and I, I'm not from Arizona originally, Billy, but I love the uh, public pools. So um, there is a public pool na- near me, uh, Paradise Valley. And I have to say, um, it really is. Anyway, so in the summertime, park. when everybody runs away, go there, but it's whatever the kids would do, splash pad. I'm an old guy with young kids, so it's it's what they would do, basically. <laughs> an old guy with young kids. How old are you? I am 58 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're one of those guys that I, I never could really tell, you know? No, a lot of people could tell. They usually think I'm older. So they really? go, really? Yeah. Aren't you get, collecting Social Security, Keith? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> okay so you got kiddos you run around chasing after them um and where do you see yourself in the next five years 
at Modern Law? Is that, I is hope that so. Yeah. From Modern Law? So yeah. uh, one thing is we discussed is uh, now there's a real push and I, I is for certification is that's where I would want to try to be certified. Because again, we were talking about like how everybody just jumps into family law, but once you do kind of like with criminal law, there's certain certifications for different areas of law. And I think it's a good thing that now people are really taking family law seriously and want to take it to the next level and to be certified. So for everybody out there, that's that you study, you take a test, and you're very knowledgeable about the case law that's out there. So that's the judge-made law because, and I'm not going to pick on Arizona, but Arizona doesn't have, uh, I would say we are case law poor in Arizona, which probably makes it easier for test purposes. But uh, for practice purposes, there's always these gray areas that if we were, say, in California, and sometimes I'll use California law, and judges here don't like that because it's just persuasive, mm-hmm. um, that uh, they've covered the different areas that I'm like, we really need to fill in this gap. So, right, right. So Absolutely. Is. Without without um, case law on a topic, you know, we get to be persuasive. We get to argue, but it's harder to offer our clients certainty for sure. Um, All right. Last question. What are your favorite types of cases? And also, what are the cases that you prefer not to handle? Well, uh, it's the cases where it's, um, and I don't want to say David versus Goliath, but we have a client that is really in need. And the other side is just, um, I don't want to pick on, especially in the podcast, I don't want to mention any law firms, so I won't because I don't want to get in trouble. But anyway, there's some big law firms out there that will just paper you and so forth. And if you have a client that is working with you that really needs it and you understand their plight, that just gives you the extra juice, really, to to for me. And I, like I said, is I like to handle... Uh, if there's an order protection, if there's a family law case, or even a juvie case, I like to, um, and, and I have had um, criminal too. So I've I've represented somebody for three different in three different uh, uh, courts. One, you know, one client. So those are the ones I really because I love being in one court and they're saying, well, we don't know what's going on. And I say, well, I'll tell you, Honor, because I was there last week and blah blah blah. And so you kind of make the other side look really uh, like they don't have a clue, but that doesn't happen all the time. So. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. If you all have enjoyed this episode or you're interested in working with Keith, give us a call at Modern Law. We would love to help you and make sure you download, share the podcast. And if there's anyone else that you think would be a good guest on the Modern Divorce Podcast, let us know. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast, brought to you by Modern Law. Now, a word from our sponsor. One consistent theme you'll hear from me, Billy Tarasio, is that we do not believe in a one-size-fits-all solution. That's why at Modern Law, you can find anything you need for your family law case. For the highest stakes litigation cases, we've got experienced family law attorneys who can offer you representation. We also have embraced 
newly licensed legal paraprofessionals who can offer you legal representation for less. And if you just need your documents prepared, we can offer certified legal document preparers as well. If that's not for you and instead you are representing yourself, congratulations. You are like one of the 70% of people out there doing it on your own. And our newest offering, Win Without Law School, can help. For more information about Win Without Law School, go to winwithoutlawschool.com. To get representation options, go to mymodernlaw.com.